Acts chapter 2, verse 1, continuing in our series in the book of Acts. And if you are a guest, we take preaching the word of God as the focal point of our gathering. Because this is where God speaks to us. So if you're a guest, you don't have a Bible, there's some on this table. If you brought a guest and they don't have a Bible, share it with them or, or give them one of the ones here. You may have that. If you don't own one, that's yours. It's a gift from us to you. If you have your Bible, please open them. Please open these Bibles and pay attention. This is the Word of God. Acts 2.1. Today's message is entitled, Amazed. Amazed. Acts 2.1. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they all gather, they were all gathered in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared on them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered, because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that they hear, that we hear each of us in his own native language, Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others, mocking, said, they are filled with new wine. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this word. May I preach it with your power. And I trust you that you're empowering this by your spirit. And empower the hearers of this to hear it and understand it in Jesus' name. Amen. I I am a war buff and particularly World War II. Now, that may have something to do with the fact that my father came to this country from Cuba in 1940 to study, and then soon thereafter, World War II broke out, and as a young man, 18 or 19 years old, they gave him the option. Uh, Mr. Pino, we're we're in a state of war. Either go back to your home country, Cuba, or if you want to be a citizen, you can join the U.S. Army because we need a lot of bodies, and go fight, and if you survive, when you come back, we'll make you a citizen, and that's, in fact, what he did. My father fought in the Pacific, um, but, but I have a real penchant for the European side of uh, the war. Maybe it's because I was stationed in Europe. I was an officer in the U.S. Army, and I was a liaison officer with the 3rd German Corps. So I just had this fascination with World War II. I think also it was probably the last great epic war. I, truly, it was good against evil. I mean, truly, World War II would be a defining point of modern history, depending on how it went this world was going to be very, very different. I don't know that we're going to have a global war like that anytime soon because I think today it's, it's different. It's more regional. 
things. But, but back then, the, war, the world was at war. And so, when, when I'm thinking about this sermon today, I'm thinking about an epic day in the history of redemption, the day of Pentecost. This is an amazing day, hence amazed. Um, but when I think about that, I think D-Day. D-Day is the day that the Allies invaded Europe, continental Europe, in a place called Normandy. It was June 6th, 1944. It was huge. There, was a hun- there were 160,000 Allied troops involved, 5,000 ships, 13,000 aircraft. That was an epic day. It was a day that changed the course of modern history because on that day, something began that was terminated almost a year later when the Allies defeated Germany. Hitler surrendered. Actually, he was gone, but his forces, his army surrendered in May of 1945. And so, I just just think that D-Day is a good way to think about the day of Pentecost. Why? Because look, on D-Day, something began. A foothold was won. Really, it was the beginning of the end of the German, Nazi-German occupation of all of Europe. But it took about a year of fighting and fighting and fighting and fighting until what was begun ended or was consummated in the surrender. And in much the same way, the day of Pentecost was the beginning, the inauguration of something, the giving of the Spirit. The Bible says it was the beginning of the Messianic age for a Jew, what we would say the the New Covenant age. It's the beginning of the last day. So if D-Day was the beginning of the last great fight and battle of World War II, Pentecost is the beginning of the last day. This is the beginning of the end. One day the end will come when Jesus returns. History is over. The last enemy, death, is defeated, and that's it. We're in the in-between time. We're fighting through France, Belgium. We're crossing the Rhine River. We're engaging the enemy. Victory is assured, but the battle's hard. And so this day, this pivotal day, the day of Pentecost, first century A.D., as described here in Acts 2, is so very important. It's an amazing day in God's history of redemption, just like D-Day was an amazing day. Some call it the Day of Days in modern history. And we've got to understand this day. We've got to understand it because all the Old Testament prophets, this whole, the major part of your Bible is pointing to this day. Jesus spent 40 days after three and a half years teaching his disciples about this day, talking about the promise of the Father and how everything would change after that day. So we've got to understand that day because that day has implications for today. It has implications for every day. This passage it's, it's about an amazing day. I mean, just look again, just briefly, look at verse 7. I'm going to come back to it later, but just to capture the amazing part of this. Look at verse 7. And they, this is all those people, probably over 3,000 people, and they were amazed, there's that word amazed, and astonished, saying, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? Verse 8, and how is it that, now skip down to verse 11b. So verse 8, and how is it that, skip to 11b, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. See, I believe God's burden and my prayer 
for us today is that we hear them telling us in our own tongue the mighty works of God, and it would amaze us. We would be amazed by what happened that day 2,000 years ago. And it would give us faith for the final day when Christ returns and all his enemies are defeated and his kingdom consummated. So here's the question for you, friends. Are you amazed? That's the driving question. here. Are you amazed today by the mighty works of God declared on the day of Pentecost? You see, there's two responses to the mighty works of God. They're found in verses 12 and 13. Look at them. You're either going to be amazed, verse 12, and all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? Or you're going to mock. Look at verse 13. But others, mocking, said, they are filled with new wine. They're crazy. See, this first response, this first response humbly asks out of amazement and a sincere desire to understand, what does this mean? But the second response, it's, it's bemused. And it arrogantly declares out of a sarcastic desire to mock. Which one characterizes your life? If it's the latter mocking response, then I pray, oh friend, I pray that God would have mercy on your soul and open the eyes of your heart that you might see and understand His mighty works by His Spirit. I pray that God would introduce you to Christ Jesus as your Lord and Savior, that you would experience Christ on a very personal level as the one who came to liberate you from the power of sin and death, even as D-Day came to liberate Europe from the oppression and the death of the Nazi war machine. Oh, listen carefully, for today may be your day of salvation. But you know what? A bunch of us here may be in the middle. You know, you're not mocking, but you're certainly not amazed. You used to be amazed by God's mighty works, but not so much anymore. Grace used to be amazing to you, but now it's just a song that you sing with no real meaning, just some sentimental feeling from days gone by. What happened to you? What happened to you? Oh, friend, may God, by His personal and powerful Holy Spirit, open the eyes of your heart and ignite true amazement at what He has done. Because this is amazing. Everything else is a shadow of this. The world wants to be amazing, but it's not ultimately when you look at this. So are you amazed? Point number one. Are you amazed at God's promise fulfilled on the day of Pentecost. Are you amazed at God's promise fulfilled on the day of Pentecost? Funny you should ask that, Al. What promise? There you go. That could explain why you're not amazed. You don't know what the promise was. Let's go to Acts 1, 4 and 5 to review. Acts 1, 4 and 5. Jesus speaking to his disciples after Jesus was raised from the dead. And he says this, And while staying with them, he, Jesus, ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So what's the promise? 
It's the Holy Spirit. Remember I told you D-Day, Day of Pentecost? Holy Spirit being given to God's people in this way is a game changer. It's the last major battle. It, oh, it starts the last days. He changes everything. He's going to give us new life so that we can live before God. He's going to open our blind eyes. He's going to unstop our deaf ears. He's going to loose our mute tongues. He's going to give us power. Power to bear witness of Christ. Power to be like Jesus. That's why we must understand this day of Pentecost. It has implications for today. For you being amazed today. Oh, that day, suddenly on that day, the day of Pentecost 2,000 years ago, the Spirit comes. He's given to, to God's new covenant community, and that community is restored, and the last days begin. I mean, just like we talked about D-Day. The beginning of the end. The beginning of the defeat of Germany. But... D-Day, June 6th, would be followed by VE Day, Victory Day in Europe on May 8th, 1945. But there was almost a year separating them. A year of intense fighting. A year of intense battle. A year that, that the troops needed help and, and, and courage and, and ammunition and, and food to sustain them and moral uh, backbone and sacrifices were made. It's an epic story. And our story is even more epic. Because the victory began. Jesus won the victory on the cross. And the Spirit is sent to us to empower us. But it's a fight. We fight in this in-between time by the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. He's always with us. He never leaves us alone. As Corey preached last week, he cares for us. He empowers us. He's personal. He's not an it. This isn't some force be with you kind of stuff. This isn't the gospel, some impersonal, you know, propositional truth that's going to power me. No, no. This is a person. This is God with us, Emmanuel, through Jesus, who sends the Spirit and reveals His love to us and convicts our hearts and gives us hope and gives us perseverance when we fail miserably, when no one's watching, when people hurt us. This is why this day is so epic. This is the why of the promise, dear friends. The reason this day is so significant. Is it significant in your life? That's the question. It's significant, all right, in the history of redemption. But is it significant in your life this morning? Oh, friends, let us be amazed at God's promise fulfilled in our lives through the Holy Spirit. God is with us. He's personally, powerfully with us. He will never leave you alone, no matter how alone you might feel. Oh, God is with you this morning. May this amaze you. May you be amazed by the promise of God that arrived on Pentecost suddenly with the force of 160,000 troop D-Day invasion. In fact, this word suddenly, look at verse 2, and suddenly there came from heaven. Acts 2.2, and suddenly there came from heaven. This word suddenly is one of those words used in Scripture to describe God's sovereign plan breaking in on the history of mankind. May you be amazed this morning as God's sovereign plan, His saving activity, breaks into your life freshly, in fresh ways. If you lost amazed a long time ago, God wants to restore it to you by His Spirit. 
for his glory. I believe that's God's burden for you this morning. That's the promise. Here's the second question. Why Pentecost? Why of all days, Pentecost? Why? Well, just some background. Pentecost is one of the three major festivals of the Jewish calendar. Passover being the first one, and then 50 days later is Pentecost. Pentecost was traditionally a festival to celebrate God's goodness in the cycle of seasons. This is an agrarian culture. So this festival, which it can also be called the Feast of Weeks, was designed to celebrate the first fruits. You plant in the summer, and then as the fall comes, Pentecost, you celebrate the first fruits, that little sprout. You know how when you plant the tomatoes in your backyard, it's the 50th time and they always die or some cat kills them or a raccoon or a strange alien comes down and eats them when you're not there. But finally, finally, there's the first little one. That's what this is. Only this isn't just a tomato plant in their backyard because it's kind of cool and trendy to have tomato plants in your backyard. This is the crop that if it fails, you starve and die. So it's celebrating the first fruits. Isn't it funny that next week, Bentley's going to preach this, but 3,000 people are going to be saved and added to the church at the end of this chapter two. First fruits. First fruits. But I believe there's something more here. I want you to go back to verse one. Look what it says. When the day of Pentecost arrived, see that word arrived? That word arrived can also be translated was fulfilled. The Greek word there, it's a complex word. It's got a million letters, but it's got in there the idea of fulfilled. So Pentecost is fulfilled. And here's what I think. Here's what I think is happening. You see, Jesus came to fulfill the day of Passover. As a matter of fact, the Last Supper, the reason it's called the Last Supper, because it was the last Passover supper celebrated. No more need for Passover, guys. Jesus said, I'm the Passover lamb. No more need to sacrifice them every year and have a Passover lamb, Seder supper. I fulfill it. The last supper is actually the first supper. The last supper of the old, the new supper, first supper of the new. So Jesus fulfilled that. Passover. He died that day. He rose three days later. And then 40 days later, he's teaching them. And then he says, wait for the spirit. And 10 days later, he says, and 10 days later... Pentecost, why Pentecost is what what we're doing here. Pentecost, he sends the Spirit. Here's what I think. In Jewish tradition, while Passover is remembering what happened right when they left Egypt, it's called the Exodus, when the Passover lamb was uh, sacrificed, the blood sprinkled on the doorpost so that the angel of death killed all the firstborn of the Egyptians, not the Jews, and the Jews came out. 50 days after that, The law was given to Israel on Mount Sinai. Mount Sinai. Law, Mount Sinai. Pentecost fulfilled. Spirit comes. The law was given. The law was given on them to transform them, but the law can't transform you because it can't get in your heart. But here's the deal. When the Spirit comes, the Spirit of God writes God's law in our hearts and minds and so fulfills the giving of the law to God's people. See that? Jesus fulfills Passover. The Spirit fulfills the giving of the law. It was always about the heart. See, why Pentecost? 
Because Pentecost also in the Jewish calendar, in the Jewish faith, was a time traditionally where they would renew covenant. They would say, oh, thank you, God, for giving us a crop so that we can eat and survive as a nation again. You've given us food to eat. But then Jesus said, bread alone is not enough. You must have the word of God. So in Pentecost, they are celebrating the law. They are celebrating covenant renewal. They are renewing the covenant. And so I think why Pentecost is because God's people are being restored. It's the beginning of the restoration of God's people. His new covenant people are being restored. Look at verse 5. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. Now skip down to verse 9. He's going to describe the Jews who came from all the nations from heaven. And this map will help you. And as as this map comes up, and as I begin with verse 9, I want you to listen to the names and try to find them on the map. Okay? So just let me give you a little um, geography lesson. Middle East, Iran, Iraq, Asia, Turkey, across that isthmus, Greece, the boot, Italy. So you got Europe. You have Asia, you have the Middle East, and then here, Africa, Cyrene, Libya, Egypt. Libya and Egypt have been in the news, right? Killing our ambassador, throwing rocks at our embassies. But listen to all the Jews who were there. Parthians and Medes and Elamites. Parthians and Medes and Elamites over here in the Asia, Middle East area. Residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia. Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia. Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Cyrene belonging, parts of Libya belonging in Cyrene, North Africa, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans. How'd you like to be a Cretan? And Arabians. Hi, I'm a Cretan. (laughs) Cretans. So why Pentecost? Because that represented the whole known world. If you think about it, it represents kind of all mankind. We kind of all came from there. Africans, Asians, those from the Middle East, Europeans. And then we just kind of went everywhere. it's, 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 It's the table of nations in Genesis 10. Shem, Ham, and Japheth, the three sons of Noah. Okay, it's 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 mankind. And God, by his sovereign power, ordained, now remember, they're Jews. Salvation is going to begin with the house of Israel. He has them come back to Jerusalem. And in Jerusalem, where Jesus died on the cross and defeated the enemy, where Jesus rose from the dead, now the Spirit would be poured out. He takes his covenant community, the Jews who he had dispersed as exiles throughout all the world because of their sin and their rebellion. They were scattered in exile. Their own land was under occupation by the hated, dreaded pagan Romans and they needed restoration. And he brings them back sovereignly and he pours out his spirit gloriously and he says, I'm not going to restore the kingdom to you, Israel. I'm not going to give you the land. I'm going to restore you to the kingdom. It's not about this land. This land was just a picture of heaven and my covenant with you. I'm going to do something new. That is why Pentecost. What does that have to do with me, Al? Because he brings you home, friend. You are scattered. You are in exile. You are miserable. 
You are under bondage apart from Christ. And he brings you home and he brings you back. And though you don't deserve it, by his mercy, he restores you. He brings you home. You now become sons and daughters. You no longer are orphans scattered all through the world. And it just so happens our church does have a lot of people from different countries. And he brings you back with the people that matter the most. Can you imagine if you were a Jew in Jerusalem and you grew up all your life in Parthia or Pontus? Or Cyrene? And you're hanging out with a Jew that grew up in Pamphylia? Or Elam? You don't have a whole lot in common. You don't have your language in common. But suddenly you come to a meeting, and in this meeting you hear people who are uneducated Galileans speaking perfect Parthian. I mean, just just snapping out some good old-fashioned Libyan Cyrenian dialect. (laughs) And you know they can't speak it. They're a bunch of yokels from Galilee. And they're speaking of the mighty works of God. I mean, just just think about it. Why Pentecost? Because God restores his people. And he does it through his mighty works declared by these uneducated, bumbling Galileans. I mean, I mean, just, what would it sound like? Listen, just think about this for a second. You come to the meeting. All right, let's say, forget the Parthians and all that. Let's just say, let's say you come from Italy. You don't speak anything but Italian. And suddenly you come to this meeting. You can't understand anything. And suddenly, a person that you know clearly is not Italian. They don't know Italian. They say the following. You go, what? That was perfect Italian. (laughs) And you think, oh, you know, Italy, Italians, there's a lot of those, but I'm from the Philippines. I speak Tagalog. And I'm sure there's no one here that speaks Tagalog. No one here looks Filipino. But then you hear this. Okay, so fine. You got someone that speaks Tagalog. You got someone who speaks Italian. You know... You're a German guy. You're a rationalistic guy. You don't believe any of this stuff. And you're standing there. It's South Florida. There's no Germans here. You don't see any tourists, okay? Everybody's got a suntan. There are no Germans here. But suddenly you hear this. Jesus Christus von dem Toten auferstanden ist. Er ist Herr. You go, what? All right. But you're that small minority. You're from this tiny nation, this tiny Basque nation. No one knows your language. You barely know your language. But suddenly, (laughs) suddenly, out of nowhere, out of nowhere, you hear this. Oh, man. That is great, guys. Thank you. Friends, it was an amazing day. Do you understand that? Look back at verse 6. This is what caused them amazement. At this sound, they came together. They were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. Verse 7. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God? And it was a lot louder than you just heard. Thank you, by the way, all of you who said that. I know it was difficult. It was a lot louder. It was the 120 that were speaking, so maybe they were, they were bunched in, I don't know. There's, I think, 15 nations represented here, roughly, I believe. 
Maybe there was, you know, 10 each or something. I know 10 times 15 isn't 120, but, you know, something like that. (laughs) But it was loud. It was impressive. So here's the deal. What were they speaking? They were speaking the mighty works of God. And that's the second thing. Are you amazed? Are you amazed at God's mighty works? Dear friends, the enthroned Lord Jesus sends the Holy Spirit to his people to give them power to bear witness of him. He's the mighty work. Christ is the mighty work of God. God went public on the day of Pentecost with his kingdom plans. And on that day, he used his disciples to make the pronouncement. He poured his spirit out upon them. And what was the sign, or what were the signs that God poured his spirit out upon them? Well, let's look at the signs. Go back to your text. Let's start with verse 2. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. So they were in a house, maybe the upper room, probably close by the temple, because the temple would have been the only place where 3,000 people could have come running. I mean, just think about 3,000 people coming running to anything, okay? That would be pretty freaky right there. But they hear this, this sound, the mighty rushing wind. They come running up. And, and so this mighty rushing wind fills the house. A mighty rushing wind, friends, in the Bible is a picture of God's spirit. His ruach. His, his spirit, his creative spirit, his presence, uh, the wind of God. Uh, John says that the spirit blows where he wills. The wind is the sign that Christ is breaking into human history. He's just left 10 days ago, but now he's not coming again physically. No, no, the resurrected Christ isn't coming in, not yet, but he's sending his spirits. It's breaking in to accomplish God's redemptive work. And then look at the, other, the next sign, verse 3. And divided tongues as of fire appeared on them and rested on each one of them. Again, I do believe it's the 120. So it's, it's not, these aren't tongues. He's not talking about the tongues that he's going to talk about. It just, it looks like tongues. You know, like a flame looks like a tongue, okay? So boom, shoo, there's fire. Zoop, and it just goes on 120 people. They're just sitting there, a little flame above their head. <laughs> fire. Fire is another symbol of God's presence. Remember Mount Sinai? Remember the giving of the law? You know what was accompanied by God's presence on Mount Sinai? A hurricane and a hailstorm, and the hail was on fire. Go read it. Wind and fire. It was so bad that people were horrified, and they shrunk back. No one even wanted to touch the mountain. If anybody touched it, they would die. It's accompanied by God's presence on Mount Sinai for God to bring his word. These are are symbols of God's presence with God's people. And then what did God's presence by the Spirit with God's people enable them to do? Well, here's the third sign. This is the one that we all tend to focus on, verse 4. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit, filled with the Holy Spirit. This is a new day, filled now with the Holy Spirit, before the Holy Spirit was on people for certain tasks. Today they're filled with the Holy Spirit. Promise of the Father. All creation been waiting for this since the fall. All the prophets been prophesying about this. Jesus made it happen. This is the day, the day of days. Everything changes after today. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And look at this sign. And they began to speak in other tongues. Notice, as the Spirit gave them utterance. Supernatural utterance. Supernatural utterance. 
So these, these, this, these tongues came upon the believers. And what did the tongues do? What did the Spirit do as these tongues, this, this Spirit-filled utterance began to flow from them? He, he empowered them to declare, and we already know, the mighty works of God. See, the filling of the Spirit was for inspired utterance. The disciples, the apostles, received the eschatological gift. Whenever you hear eschatological, just write it down. It's a good Scrabble word. But also, what it means is eschatological is end-time gift. Remember, this is the beginning of the the end. This is the last day's beginning. So eschatological gift is an end-time gift. The, the, The disciples, the apostles, receive an eschatological gift. It's the gift of the Spirit. It's offered to all who would repent and receive water baptism, or believe. They're spirit-filled. They're possessed by the Spirit of God to speak the Word of God, to prophesy, verbal ministry, inspired to give testimony, to bear witness of Jesus Christ. They spoke in other tongues. These are intelligible languages they spoke in, different from the ones they had ever learned. They praised God. They rehearsed His mighty works. The Spirit enabled them to give, to to utter the things of God. It's miraculous speech. It's a testimony of Jesus. What did they talk about? They talked about Jesus' life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, his enthronement. Bentley's going to preach this next week. Because in Peter's sermon, you hear what what they spoke. This is what happened on the day of Pentecost. This is why it's a game changer. The Holy Spirit gave the disciples supernatural utterance. Tongues and languages foreign to the Galilean disciples in which they declare God's mighty works. Listen, the Galileans, the map's gone, but the Galileans, Middle East, they were in a back, kind of a backwoods place of Israel. Nothing good could come from there. A bunch of fishermen. They had a reputation for being a bit uncultured, they were weak in their pronunciation of their own language. They kind of swallowed some of their syllables. What does that sound like? Having a hard time with their gutturals. It would have been like a bunch of Hialeah Cubans standing up and speaking of the mighty deeds of God in perfect Russian, perfect French, perfect Chinese, perfect Swahili, even perfect intelligible Spanish. This was a supernatural thing. It was amazing to all who heard them. Seriously, God did something supernatural, friends. He defied rational explanation. And so the result was amazement and praise and adoration. People marveled that these Galileans could overcome the limitations of their language to speak the wonders and mighty deeds of God. Remember verse 5, there were Jews from every nation under heaven. That's what it says in verse 5. Jews from every nation under heaven. Remember the the, the table of nations. Go back and read it this afternoon, Genesis 10. They're represented. All the nations are represented. But there's a barrier. The barrier came in Genesis 11. Remember the Tower of Babel? Man is building a tower to get up to God. God says, not going to do it that way. Boom! He separated them, scattered them, and gave them different languages. Until today, we have that curse, don't we? There's some of you here that cannot communicate well in one language or the other that the other person in the church prefers. I hate it. We have, we have someone right now who's pulling their hair out. Right now. Because they have to translate for me. <laughs> on one of those devices right back there. 
and it's in their ear. Why? Because it's a barrier. It's a barrier. But oh, friends, don't you see on the day of Pentecost, we see a temporary breaking down of the barrier of language that divides us. And these Galileans speak languages that they had never learned. This is God's mighty work. You know what we see here? We see a reversal of the curse of Babel in the blessing of Pentecost. We see a picture of what's going to come. I don't know what language we're going to speak in heaven. Some say Spanish. Some say Tagalog. (laughs) Maybe Basque. Wouldn't that be a hoot? (laughs) I I don't care. We're all going to be able to speak to each other with no translator. And God will restore us back to before Babel. Before the fall in the garden. Guys, this is restoration. This is the beginning of the end. This is God's people restored as God's covenant community. This is the sign. This is why tongues. I believe I have a quote here for you from John Stott. I think it's a good quote. Yes. At Babel, human languages were confused and the nations were scattered. In Jerusalem, the language barrier was supernaturally overcome as a sign that the nations would now be gathered together in Christ, prefiguring the great day when the redeemed company will be drawn from every nation, tribe, people, and language. Let's just look at that for a second. (laughs) Look at Revelation 7-9. Revelation 7-9. After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples, and what? Languages. Standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with white palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb. See the exclamation point there? There's going to be loud music and shouting in heaven, trust me. Ah, What a scene. It's prefigured here. That's why the day of Pentecost. Back to the quote. Besides, at Babel, earth proudly tried to ascend to heaven, whereas in Jerusalem, heaven humbly descended to earth. Oh, friend, have you ever tried to proudly ascend to heaven with your own intellect, with your own view of God. Yeah, you know, I have my God. I have my Christianity. I just don't go to church. Yeah, I hear the Babylonian tower about to crash. Is that that your God that you created or the God who created you? Well, uh, you know. You're going to come tumbling down as you experience God's opposition. But the way up, dear friend, is down. Humble yourself. Receive what God offers you in Christ. That is heaven descending to earth. Christ Jesus humbly coming to live and die for you. And then rise from the dead and ascend to the throne of God. Receive the Spirit today. Friends, God scatters His people and sends them into exile to discipline them. That's what He did with the Jews. Salvation began with the Jews, but it continues to us Gentiles. You see... (laughs) For those who are not his people, oh, he scatters them like Tower of Babel to curse them. 
But for us as people, he gathers us to bless us, to restore us, to reverse this curse. And so God is gathering us and restoring us, dear friends, here at Palm Vista. He's restoring amazing back to grace. The Holy Spirit is personal. He is a person. He's here with us. He's not just the gospel, some propositional statement, but he's the personal Lord Jesus sending the personal Holy Spirit, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, three in one, the Trinity, the Godhead. And the Spirit is poured out upon us. He indwells us. He restores us. Why does he restore us? He restores us for bold proclamation of the mighty works of God. Jesus. And what he's done. We don't have to wait for the Spirit to come upon us. He's on us. If you're a Christian, he's on you. He's filled you. Like Corey preached last week, he will continue to fill you as you just go and proclaim. You don't have to wait for some experience to go. Go, and you will have the experience as you go. He'll fill you. And you know what? He'll fill you with wonder. So that, last slide, are you amazed by the presence of God's Spirit in you, and that He would give you power to bear witness of Christ today. Are you amazed by the presence of God's Spirit in you, that He would give you power to bear witness of Christ today? Oh, friends, be amazed. God is bringing you home, and He's filling you with the Spirit, that you might then be sent out and proclaim, bear witness of Christ to the nations. Let's bow our head in prayer. Let's bow our head in prayer. Worship team, come on up. Dear Lord, I thank you for your goodness and your mercies. Your steadfast loving kindness. Lord, we want to cry out to you and say that as you move, Lord, our hearts will be changed. And I know, God, that that when you do move in our midst, it's a personal thing. We're your people. We were scattered. We were cursed. We were on the ends of the earth. We we were without hope. We were without people. We were orphaned. We we, we had no, nothing, no hope, nothing. And then you and Christ came and you gathered us that you might fulfill and, and bring everything under Christ and, and fulfill everything in Christ and summarize everything in Christ that he might be all in all and the head of all and that every knee would bow and every tongue confess. And we're one of those. We're, we're the, we bow our knees and we, we confess with our tongues. Jesus is Lord. And we have hope when you move. Our hearts are changed. So would you move in our midst? Would you restore amazing to grace? And it would be more than just the name of a real popular song that people sing when they want to feel good and think about something bigger than them. But it would be for us a passion and an amazement that Jesus came and died for us and rose from the dead and ascended and is enthroned on high and intercedes for us. Oh, Father, restore us to the state of being amazed. Change us, O God, when you move in our midst. 
Amen. Let's stand and close with this song. When you move.